I want you to uh, turn in your scriptures to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 21. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to press right in. But I'm going to ask you to do something for me when I read this, because this is a, a larger a section of scripture. And you've heard me say it before. I think we've got to lean in to the grace of God, specifically when it comes to teaching, because uh, many times we're hearing verses that we've heard before. And so something that I pray constantly fervently God let me hear this as if I am reading it or hearing it for the first time and also Lord would you make me aware in the fear of the Lord that it is you that is addressing us and so it's it, you know and God uses vessels to speak but we need to believe that the voice of the Lord is in the midst of his word as it's communicated and so, Father, we just thank you for captivating our heart, giving us a hunger and a thirst for truth. And we just ask, God, that you would allow this to be so real, so fresh, that it is as if we're hearing this material for the very first time, and it is new and fresh to us in Jesus' name. So in the reading of the text, what I want you to do, and this is a dangerous thing because this is a dimly lit auditorium, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and I'm going to read it to you. But then you got to promise me when we finish reading, you will wake up. All right. You will open your eyes up again. But I want you to, to listen to this. And the reason why I'm asking you to close your eyes is just kind of sacred enclosure. Dial in and hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. For he was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Amen. Now open your eyes. <laughs> I know that most of you are familiar, and if you're not, you will be after I share this illustration. Most of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien, and in the 20th century, they were modern parable writers for their generation, and they wrote a number of books, and 
Some of those books have been made into movies, and if you've ever never read the books, I remember in homeschooling the kids, it was required reading to read Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe and the Chronicles of Narnia because those parables in types and shadows communicated spiritual truths to my children in an engaging way. And uh, we know they've been made into movies for this generation <laughs> that doesn't want to read. Um, and so whether you've read them or whether you've watched them, uh, we know the symbolisms and the typology that are in these modern day parables. And so in the line, which in the wardrobe, there is a moment in which these young kids that walk through the wardrobe and then they're transported into a different dimension of reality. They go into Narnia and three of them, Peter, Susan and Lucy, are having a conversation with two creatures that they've been introduced to, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And they hear that there is a lion that is the Lord, a glorious king that is over the kingdom of Narnia. And so Lucy has never met a lion. And so she's a little intimidated, even though she's heard about his majesty, his glory, his power, and, and the greatness of this lion. But she's a little bit intimidated about this impending meeting that they're going to have. But Mr. and Mrs. Beaver are going to introduce uh, this company of people from another world uh, to Aslan. And what she does is she asks the question. She says, is Aslan safe? Is this lion that is Lord over this realm, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver's response he kind of chuckles, but he's also perplexed. And he says, listen here, Aslan is not safe, but he is good. Well, I am finding that we are living in a world that is increasingly unsafe. And that I also find that the church is being forced out of safety zones where we like to stay in our comfort and safety to where we feel no threat by anything. And I think one of the things that 2020 did was whether you wanted to go through uh, this time, it was forced upon us. We had to respond to God in the middle of it. And so one of the things that I feel like the Lord wants me to share with the church, the Big C Church, as I travel and as I minister, that if we think that um, everything that the Lord wanted to do to provoke the church out of its comfort zone and out of its longing and love for safety, uh, it is not over yet. A matter of fact, I think that what happened to us in 2020 is a precursor. It is a forerunner of some maybe even larger things that are going to shake things up. And so, there are two truths in this passage of Scripture that is emphasized. And when you read it, it seems like there is an apparent contradiction and a paradox here. Because Peter, in one passage of Scripture, he wants to reassure the people of God and to impart to them a hope so that this church that is walking through a difficult season uh, a very specific fiery trial. He wants to secure their heart 
and he wants to, again, confirm to them about that God has revealed himself and his nature and his character as a good father. And if there is one truth that in, in my growth in Christ that has secured my heart the most is the revelation of God as my father. And that, that he's not a bad father. He's not an abusive father. He's not a negligent father. He's not a cold, distant, disconnected father. He is, he is not just viewing his family from a distance, but knowing he's deeply engaged. And I appreciate what Mike shared today, that worship is not just us coming and, and him being a spectator. No, it is a circle dance of love. It is the exchange of a life and love with his people. And I wish that, that, that we could hear that word more often. But it, there is this exchange of life and love that God wants us to experience. And so God comes to us and he reveals himself in the most intimate of ways to us as our father. And so I, I've experienced that he is good. He is kind. He is generous. He is tender. He is compassionate. He's empathetic. Every quality that we would talk about sensitivity to and an awareness of where I'm at and what I need and, and, and my struggles and my weakness and my brokenness and him meeting me where I'm at to take me where he wants to be. It is because he is good and he is good all the time. We have a good, good papa. And, he, and he's put his very spirit within us that enables us and empowers us to speak a new, brand new spiritual vocabulary of intimacy that I was never able with religion to relate to him with. The Holy Spirit wells up within me with a spirit of sonship or a spirit of daughterhood where now and, and it's uncomfortable at first to communicate to God in that way. But but when I first got to a comfort level with that type of language, it was freeing because where the spirit of the Lord is, it always brings you into a dimension of liberty and a freedom that religion never could give you. Tradition could never give you. And so when I started knowing him as Abba, knowing him as Papa, getting comfortable with saying that to him and knowing that he was saying, hey, don't you get too familiar with me, boy. That was not his response. He said, it's about time you know who I am, son. This is the way I've wanted you to know me. I'm a God that's near and I'm a God that is interacting with you. And if you will, let me secure your heart in my fatherhood and in the father's love. But Peter, in this passage of scripture, he not only talks about God as father, but he talks about God as judge. And and, you know, how many have ever wanted to rewrite the Bible the way you think it should be written? Or this is where the church is a lot of times now. What we do is we quickly go through passages that we feel are unsafe. Just as, as the environment of the 21st century has a tendency towards to be an unsafe environment and not too comfortable, but yet God is leading us into this season 
because we know that he is sovereign and he's in control. None of this has taken him by surprise. God is not up on the throne shaking and sweating it out and saying, I hope this works out for my church. No, he, 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 he is confidently saying, I, this is what is going to bring birth to a prevailing church. This is going to lead to the manifestation of Romans 8, the manifestation of the sons of God. They are going to overcome even as I have overcome. So where the waters that I'm sailing my church into, they were born for that type of environment. They're going to rise to the occasion. But sometimes for us to, to be fitted and equipped for the season that God has taken the church into, what I have to do is I have to be willing to look at what I've considered unsafe passages. I can't gloss over them, read through them, or just, you know, go to the verses that I've underlined and well underlined and over outlined and everything else that I go, this is my Bible, right? Well, no, Eric, what I'm saying is sometimes we have our own Bible and it's parts of the Bible, but we've got to be willing to go into unsafe passages that are paradoxical, what we think is a contradiction, and we've got to accept the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help us God. And I'm waiting for an amen on that. So when I, when I go and read this section of Scripture with, with Peter, and I go, Peter, why in your letter couldn't you dealt with the, the judge thing at the end? You know, butter us up with the good, good father message, you know, sweeten the deal for us. And then just, you know, kind of footnote. And yes, God is your judge. In the very same verses, he says, I want you to know God is your father, but be prepared. He's also your judge. So how do we deal with what we consider these unsafe passages and how do we navigate them? Well, one of the reactions of the church to say, is to say that these truths cannot be equally true. So there are many in the church right now that are totally moving away and they're, uh, from the truth that is revealed here in this passage. And they're moving away to a universal salvation where all dogs and cats go to heaven. Now, that's a stretch for me because I'm a dog lover, but I'm not a cat lover. So I can believe that all dogs go to heaven, but that thing about cats being there too, that is a stretch for my faith. But you know what? Many in the church are drifting because we, we want to hear things that we want to hear, that we like to hear. But listen, truths are held in tension together. And even though they can appear to be contradictory, they are not. Even though they are paradoxical, and we would go, how do these things agree together? These truths can be equally true at the same time. God can be the good, good father that he is, and he can also be an impartial judge that will judge the living and the dead at the last day. Now, the reason why you go, well, Lynn, why did you choose this text and why do you want to try to teach this and impart this to us today? Because for those of us that have been secured with the nature of God as our father, as we go into last day's realities 
And there are a lot of things that are going to become unsafe in the world. And you either go, God, where did you go? What are you doing? This is looking like it's getting out of control. It's unraveling. It's unstable. Things are rocking and rolling. Where are you? I don't see the goodness in this situation, in this shaking. We need to understand that God, who is judge, who is going to be bringing temporal judgments into the earth, is acting out of his nature as a good father because his judgment is to come against those things that hinder and restrict his love from being revealed. So when he comes, he is going to come and he's going to ride with truth and justice. Do you hear what I'm saying? You need to understand that the Lord, when he rides through this world in the last days, bringing a correction and a redirection and, and refocusing of the attention of the nations away from their idols, but back to him. We are going to see the Lord do some things that look to us that are extreme and severe. But make no mistake about it. It is about making every valley to be leveled up. Every, every level of oppression, every level where you see oppression and disparity and injustice, God is going to make those valleys exalted. He is going to confront the mountains of arrogance and the idols of men, and he's going to demolish them and make them low. Crooked places are going to get straightened out. The crooked places that still remain in us that I want to kind of shade and try to hide, but he's, he's going to ride with truth and justice in humility, but he's going to ride through our land. And, and it's what we call revival. <laughs> and, and to where he purifies and he cleanses his church and purifies the intensity and brings them back into first love. But then there is this thing where he's setting things in order he, he is bringing things back into alignment and we've got to get comfortable with him being a good good father and a judge all at the same time okay half of you are willing to allow me to go on it's okay so i'm telling you today he is in fact good but he is not safe I love some of the Christian art that is out there. And one of the, the things that has been featured is Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But I think that some of the artists in the church should have reflected more of what we want Jesus to be in the 21st century. And that's a domesticated house cat. Right? So instead of Jesus being you know, portrayed in some of the, the paintings that is, you know, of this fierce lion that is ready to roar. We, we, would, we would prefer our little house cat, you know, something that comes up to your leg and goes, purr, 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 you know, a, a little domesticated cat. Jesus is not going to become domesticated for you. He will not be a domesticated cat. So, I've got to go into passages like this that seem to be a little bit intimidating and unsafe for me, but I've got to get 
comfortable with Jesus wanting to roar in his church. Now, I want to give you some comfort and hope here. But I'm going to use an analogy. I have become very, very fascinated. And I can remember as, uh, as a child becoming fascinated by mountaineering and mountain climbing. And I read uh, books about adventurers and explorers and, and people that were summiting peaks and the dangers of that. And so uh, now that Mount Everest has turned into Mount Everest, Inc., I mean, hundreds of people are summiting Mount Everest. And I mean, they get in a queue and they get in line and they go up there and it's still very dangerous. But I have been amazed by how that people are are doing this kind of like, what are you doing from a vacation this year? Well, I'm going to climb Mount Everest. You know, I'm going to summit it. It seems to be more common. But those pioneers that did it, it was an amazing feat. Thank God for forerunners that go before us to make what was impossible easy for us. But one of the things that even though it seems like hundreds of people now are summiting and it appears to be much safer and easier than it was in yesteryear, Everest still has a death zone. Matter of fact, Everest is 29,000 feet high and some odd feet. But at 26,000, human life cannot efficiently and effectively be sustained without the aid of oxygen. And so you have these Nepalese Sherpers that carry enormous weights of oxygen tanks and resources and supplies. And they go up ahead of all of these climbers and they station these oxygen bottles to where they, they can only be, you know, these oxygen bottles can only go so long. But when one runs out, they can, there's a, there is a provision ahead of them where when they reach it, they can be resupplied with oxygen. Now, going back to this passage of Scripture, there are three imperative, and another word for imperative is imperial. These are decrees of the king to his church. Number one, God commands us to be filled with hope. If there is ever a truth that God is going to renew and restore to the church in these times, is just as much as we've had faith teaching and love teaching, hear me right now, you're going to see God begin to emphasize a truth because there are three eternal things that are the operating system of the kingdom of God. Faith, hope, and love. Everybody say hope with me. And so there's been a lot of rich teaching on the love of God and us, us becoming confident in love. A lot of faith teachings that allows us to activate faith and to know what faith is, how to function in it. But you also have to know how to function in a life of hope. And they all work together in, in, a, in a trinity. But God is going to emphasize this truth. So, so he's commanded us to be filled with hope. But then at the same time, he tells us, he said, I also want you to spend your sojourn here in the fear of the Lord. Be hope filled, but also be filled with the awe and the fear of the Lord. And then in the middle of this sandwich of commands, he said, I want you to be holy as I am holy. Do we talk about that here at this church still? 
Do we talk about, are, are, are we just wanting the hope-filled church, but we don't want the fear-filled church of the awe of God and, and the, the holiness of God? Well, I find that all three of commands, I think the hope-filled command is an easier command to walk in, so I think I got that one. But I find that it is not as easy as we would think. It's easy to receive, but I found specifically in the environments that we're in, to maintain a hope-filled life is more difficult than I even imagine. But then it gets even greater and harder in degree when God gives this audacious command to be holy just like He is. And I want to say, come on, man. Come on, Jesus. Are you, who, who are, you? are you kidding? You know me. There is no way I can be holy like you. And then he says, I want you to spend every one of the days in your pilgrimage and your sojourn here as you feel like an exile in the world. I want you to live with your heart filled with the awe of God. I want you to do all three of them. And I want to say, Peter, couldn't you just do one and say, I'm going to leave it there. And I'm going to make a three-part series out of this. Let you digest the hope-filled one. But I'm going to, no, I'm going to lay the smack down of imperative commands. And I'm going to say, I want you to be hope-filled. I want you to be holy. And I want you to be filled with the awe of God. And I want you to do that right now. And I go, I give up. Lord, I, I just don't think that's possible. I, I understand it here. And how can that be a heart reality? Well, I'm going to give you a grammar lesson. How many of you know that it's important to know grammar? Well, there is uh, some brothers in the church that I've grown to appreciate because it's something that I'm not capable of doing. Um, there are some guys that are given to the body of Christ that have a, have a substantially larger brain than I do. And they write very complicated, complex books that my wife has to read to me and explain it to me. Because I'll just say, can you read this to me? I don't understand this. And Carmen is a, is a highly intelligent woman. And uh, I really married up. when <laughs> She wasn't, Eric. That's the point. She was not thinking. That's why we say... Love is not only blind, but it is also deaf and dumb. <clears throat> so for a moment, the spirit of, not stupor, the spirit of stupid came upon Carmen Furrow for a season. And boy, did I ever look out. But there is a guy by the name of Sinclair Ferguson. He said, whenever you read the commands of God and they look like a Mount Everest to you, he said, you always have to remember gospel grammar. And he says, never forget that the imperative commands of God are first and foremost sustained by the actions of God. I want you to hear that. The indicative of God's provision or the actions that God has taken on your behalf for you is always more important and fundamental than the commands that he gives you. I'm going to read that two or three times because I want you to get that. God's actions taken on our behalf, which has preceded every command that he has given, 
is more important than the commands themselves. The actions that God has taken on my behalf. Long before he gave me the command to be holy. To be filled with the fear of the Lord. And to live a hope-filled life as a Christian. Long before he ever said, I want you to live a hope-filled life, Lynn. I want you to spend your days walking in awe of me. And I want you to be holy. I have destined you to be holy just as I am. Before those words were ever uttered from his mouth, there was an action that God took on my behalf, on your behalf, that allows there to be a provision of grace that abounds to me, that makes the impossible possible. As God has called you to walk the mountain of the fear of the Lord and the mountain of hope and the mountain of holiness, you will see that there is a forerunner that has done all the heavy lifting and he saw ahead what you would need on the journey when you entered into the death zone and he has put oxygen bottles of the grace of God all along the way for us. Sorry, I got just a little excited there. The order cannot be reversed. And so it is only when I begin to look into the heart of Christ and see the abundance of the grace that emanates from His sufficiency then it empowers me to live like I could not ever live by this in my own strength and in my own power. So, I'm called to live a life that is pleasing to God. But I found out this as I try to live as an obedient child, which is what he said in this verse, as obedient children. And so many of us, we hear that God expects His children to walk in an obedience. I, I say, Lord... I want to, but how can I? Because I know my struggle, and my struggle is real. Well, I find that when we love God most de deeply, we desire to walk more closely to Him. But listen, I found this out. Obedience is the consequence, not the condition of love. Because many of us... <laughs> We are trying to be obedient children and be holy and to walk in fear and to walk a hope-filled life to try to prove to God that we're worthy of His love. But obedience, I found out when, I am, when I'm getting my stride in the grace of God, walking in a life that is pleasing to Him, it's not based upon me mustering enough strength to do it. It's upon my response to the generosity of His love and grace for me. And my obedience is the result of His love. His, my obedience is the result of the actions that He's taken on my behalf. My obedience is the result and the consequence of a grace and a power that's been revealed for me. And it is not the condition for Him revealing love to me. And this is, I'm going to say it two or three more times. The message of the gospel is not you be good, then you will be mine, and I will love you. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not you be good, and then you will be mine, 
and I will love you. The message is, you are mine because I sought you and I bought you. I paid for you with the price of the blood of my son. And the the value of what is redeemed is based upon the purchase price. You know, you're valued to God based upon what he was willing to give to redeem you. So the message of the gospel is, you are mine, so come follow me and I will make you what you could not make of yourself. Now, I've been reading a book, uh, and, and this may date me. And you go, you didn't need to date yourself. We can see that you are already dated. But there was a brother that lived in East Central Indiana by the name of Rich Mullins. How many of you remember Rich? And his songs in my generation deeply impacted my life. And he was an odd sort of guy because he was not a traditionalist and he was kind of a maverick type believer. He really opposed the oppression of legalism and, and just wanted people to, to live sincerity. It was sincerely in the love of God, but understanding the love of God transcends all of our brokenness and weakness. And so he wrote a song called the creed and in uh, third day remade it for those of you that have never listened to rich uh, but you heard third day sing it but there is a, a a phrase in one of the verses that I've grown to love and I've grown to listen to it and re-listen to it and rich said in the song he said I did not make it though it is making me. The very truth of God, not the invention of any man. The message of the gospel is simply this. You are mine, come follow me, and I will make you. You don't have to make yourself. You don't have to make yourself holy. You don't have to try to make yourself fearful in the fear of the Lord. How do you know we try to take all these things and stand them on their head? Well, I'm going to be fearful now in the fear of the Lord. I'm going to work on being holy. And I've found that the more I work on my holiness, the more cranky I am. (laughs) The more of an extra crispy Christian I become. Do you like the regular original recipe? No, I want the extra crispy holiness version of Christianity. And so it's liberating to know that the actions of God taken on your behalf and his provision has preceded his commands. Now I'm going to speed up here and I'm just going to finish these thoughts. So I wish I could take time and uh, talk to you about each one of them. But I'm not going to do that. We're just going to go on the summit of each one. As I deal with some of these unsafe passages, and I then get comfortable with them, 
in each one of these passages, I'm walking away with understanding how amazing God's grace and mercy is in my life. So in because I used to read these things and go, all right, guys, we've got to be holy. All right, guys, every day. Strap on the fear of the Lord, you know. Uh, okay, be hopeful. I don't feel very hopeful. Stop it. Be hopeful. <laughs> That's the way I used to, when I was young in the Lord, you know, and I, I would look at these texts. Now that I realize he has done it all by himself. The reason why I repeat myself sometimes when I'm teaching is not for your benefit, for the repetition, reinforcing a truth. No, every time I say this, I feel it. And I want to feel it. God has done it all by himself for himself. And so I walk away and you go, well, Lynn, you're taking away the engagement of our faith, participating with him in receiving that grace. I now understand that the very faith that I function in to receive the grace was the faith of Jesus that was imparted to me that allowed me to believe what God said. So I can't even say, this is my faith. I have my faith, and I'm working out my faith. No, this is Jesus' faith being worked out in me. It is the, I'm receiving the power of God by a faith of God that is working in me. So Alpha and Omega, beginning to end, author, finisher, he is doing what he needs to do to bring me to that place where his glory can be revealed. And that's why we're a people of faith. We see that God is able to bring us to the summit and bring us across the finish line. And so, I walk through these passages more slowly. I don't run away from them or I don't grit my teeth when I see how tall the promises and the commands are. But I see a price was paid that allowed a grace to be revealed And so it's freeing, because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so this church was under an intense time of persecution, and they were facing judges that were partial. And he wants to let them know, you know, if you allow the grace of God to be revealed in you and it awakens your heart to the greatness and the awesomeness of God. And you spend your time here sojourning in awe and fear of him. And, and if you allow the spirit of holiness to begin to bring you into his courts and allow his, the beauty of his holiness to transform you. And if, and if you can fix your gaze on away from the day-to-day -day difficulties and you can see the certainty of an eternal inheritance or reward that is prepared for you. Let the persecutors do whatever they want to. Now, this is another movie reference that I'm trying to get done. But do you guys remember the, 
I read a review about Shawshank Redemption. I didn't watch it myself. <laughs> no, just kidding. I watched Shawshank Redemption, and it was about this movie where this guy was unjustly accused and put in prison. But there was another figure there that was portrayed by Morgan Freeman and Red. Thank you. I couldn't remember Red's name. But they had this sequence of scenes where Red, over the period of his life sentence, he was brought before the parole board. And at first, Red was trying to prove to them that he was a good man now. And he, he, he memorized certain phrases that he thought would be impressive to the board. And he would try to tell them, I'm a changed man. And I, I can do better. I can live on the outside. And, of course, these guys, with their hardness of a heart, they just stamped, denied, rejected. And so, finally, he came to a conclusion. I'm okay. No matter what happens, I'm okay. And he comes to that hearing board for a final scene. And he just tells them, he said, I know what you want me to tell you, but I'm not going to tell you. Do I wish I could go back and talk to that young man? Yes, I do. I would tell him, don't do that. It'll destroy your life. But I cannot go back and change anything. So he says, Sonny, I know that you have a job and you're trying to do your job and they pay you to do that job. So go ahead and stamp your denied in my file and let me go on back to being me. Don't bother me anymore. That was not exactly what he said, but I'm trying to keep it PG in church. But I thank God that there is a maturity in grace where God is going to bring the church where we're not insecure about the times in which we live. That, that we're not going to be rattled and we're not going to become restless. We're not going to become fearful. We're not going to become insecure. So we can, you know, just as, as Peter was talking to these believers and saying, let the persecutors do, do what they want to do to you, but know that you have an impartial judge. That you have something that has been secured for you that is not just about temporal time, but is an eternal certainty. Look past the temporal courts and look to the court of the Lord. Live for that day, not for can this day be a little bit better than yesterday. There, there, there is something that God wants to bring in the church that reorients us where we are filled with such an invincible hope. Say that with me. Invincible hope. That we are able to peer past the, the persecutors. We're able to uh, peer past the temporary nature of our times. We're able to, to, to not succumb to the one-click-away pornographic image. We're, 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 we're able to move past the fear of man and to go ahead and to say what needs to be said or to be what we need to be for God instead of intimidated in our times.
Every one of these commands are not to be soul-destroying or soul-depleting. But no, they're to be soul-enriching. Because they're a revelation of the actions and the provision and the grace of God that is available to you right now. So I'm in a season now where every day I go, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Every day I walk around going, whoa, God, what a powerful abundance of riches you've made available. And this is where I want to end today. This passage of Scripture said, it was all done for the sake of you. And sometimes, at other times in my spiritual walk, I, I would think it was revealed for Mike Brown. Don't you love seeing Mike be blessed? Man, he, he gets a lot of blessings. You know, all this grace was revealed for Mike. I, I'm good. I, I'm okay with that. I don't want to be jealous over how you blessed him and how you've showed up and showed off in his life. And, or this group, this group got really blessed. But God wants to so personalize it to where I realize that all of this vast wealth of the riches of Christ and the price that he was paid is personalized for the sake of me and you. I want you to say that quietly to yourself. You did it for my If I were the only one, he would have done all that he has done just for you. For the sake of you. As you think about that, not only hear it, but believe it, receive it, and interact with it. The grace of God has been revealed for you, made available for you. I want you to stand. And I'm going to invite uh, David to come up. And I'm going to pray, and while he's coming, would you raise your hands with me? And I want us just to receive a fresh outpouring of the Spirit of grace. So if you're tired and you're weary and you're carrying any yoke, of performance or improvement. I, <laughs> my wife and I have caught ourselves, and I am going to pray, but my wife and I, we found that we were saying this phrase, well, I'm going to try to do better. In our marriage relationship, we would say that, well, I'm going to try to do better. And we've just stopped saying that. 
Because what it did was it put this dynamic in our relationship where that we were putting conditions on how we were receiving and responding and loving each other. It was based on whether we saw us working harder on a relationship. How many of you worked on your relationship so hard that you almost killed it? <laughs> so this is not a thing about carrying a yoke of trying to improve it, trying to, to do it, trying to show God. I want, you to, I want you to feel his ownership of you. You're mine. I love you. You're mine. And I'm going to make you. You're not going to make yourself. I want you to take off that yoke. You cannot make yourself. Allow my truth and my grace to make you what I've ordained and called you to be in me. I am enough to complete that which I've started in you. So, Father, we ask that there would just be a fresh outpouring of the spirit of grace on new covenant and all of our issues all of our struggles and all the things that we want to be and those unrealistic expectations that we've had on ourselves that create artificial pressure on us lord we just say we thank you for grace we thank you for the sufficiency of who you are We thank you that you have done for me what I could not do for myself. Therefore, I will enter into your rest today. We receive it. Lord, we just thank you, God, as we are ever climbing on the summit to be holy, to walk in awe of you, to have our minds fixed on those things that are eternal and certain. That we're anchored in hope. God, I thank you for getting us to the top. I thank you that every one of the people in this room that are truly yours, I thank you they will be holy as you are holy. I thank you, God, that they will be filled every day with more and more of the awe of who you are. I thank you, God, that you will ever increase our hope and our anticipation and expectation in the glory that is going to be revealed in us and through us. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.